Uh, if you've been around any length of time, you know that Lisa and I have two children. Uh, they're not children anymore, but they're our kids, right? They never stop being your kids, no matter how old they are. Uh, we have a daughter named Elizabeth and a son named Simon. And um, if you've ever had the privilege of meeting them, you'll know that God could not have created two different people than what my, my two children are. They are, I mean, it's, it just blows my mind. I don't know if you guys as parents, if, you're, if you have kids, you understand what I'm talking about, but how is it possible that two children with the same DNA, raised in the same family by the same parents, with the same rules, could grow up so different? But it happens, doesn't it? My kids are just like as polar opposites as they could possibly be. My daughter Elizabeth, for example, is, um, she has always been, ever since she was a little girl, I mean, I never had to worry about her. I mean, she kept me in line. That probably doesn't surprise you. I mean, she, she was always a rule keeper, and anybody around her, she expected them to keep the rules. And, and uh, my son, on the other hand, not so much. <laughs> if you know Simon, you know what I'm talking about. Not that he, Simon it has never been rebellious. That's not, that would not be the word, the best word to describe him. Um, because he never was with Lisa and I. He was, he was a joy to raise, actually more than Elizabeth. Elizabeth, if you're watching, I'm sorry. But there were times that, see, he would, he was not a rule keeper, unless you could convince him that the rules actually made sense. If, if, if you could convince him that there was a neat reason for the rules, he was all about them. But in the meantime, while he was figuring that out, he wasn't above pushing it, right? Now, anybody here? I actually had several uh, grandparents that said I was preaching about Simon and them today by the way, because anyway, um, takes, when he was in school, when Simon was in school, for example, he, he was always very intelligent, um, uh, um, filled with potential, but he oftentimes struggled with school, not because he couldn't do the work, he could do the work, in fact, he could probably do the work in half the time as most of the rest of them, he just wasn't sure he wanted to do the work. And he didn't, if he couldn't see the purpose for it, if it just seemed stupid to him, he didn't do it. If it was boring to him, he didn't do it. Aaron, what are you, what are you, what are you shaking your head for there, brother? <laughs> so um, that got him into trouble every now and then, but it really got him into trouble his senior year. Because his senior year, you know, he was just having a great time. He's thinking, you know, I love being a senior. I'm about ready to go out into the... But we got word about halfway into his senior year that there was a chance that he might be a senior next year too, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so uh, Lisa and I set him down. And I, again, I need to, I need to um, clarify this. I set him down. Lisa was there. She didn't want to be there because she knew what was coming. So I set our very intelligent, filled with potential son down, and I said to him, I said, son, um, here's the deal. You've got six months to get your work done. If you, if, because on the day that all your friends are having parties, and they're walking across the stage celebrating their great accomplishments, if you aren't walking with them celebrating your great accomplishment, what you and I will be doing is packing your bags, setting them on the street corner, and that day you will be privileged to find a new home. 
Now, you think I was serious? Lisa knew I was serious. Right now, she's going, <laughs> he knew I was serious too. Thus, for the next six weeks of his life, life stunk. He, when all the rest of his friends were kind of, you know, just doing their thing, getting ready for graduation, he was working his tail off to get all of his work in. But you know what happened? On the day of graduation, he walked right across the stage with the rest of his friends, received it. He probably, I told Lisa, I said, I don't remember, but he probably was on the honor roll, knowing him. The, the point is, though, life needed to stink for him, or he would never walk across that stage. You know what I'm saying? Now, why would I tell you that story this morning? I tell you that story to illustrate a biblical truth. Sometimes life needs to stink to get us to where we need to be. Did you know that's a biblical truth? Some of you are thinking, I'm not sure, Pastor. Well, I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove it to you today. So open your, up your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Because here in Luke chapter 13, we are going to be looking at the parable for today. If you're a guest or visitor with us, we this year are working through all the parables of Jesus. And today we are looking at the parable um, of um, God brings the stink. Some people traditionally uh, have known it to be the parable of the barren fig tree, but I have named it the parable when, of when God brings the stink. And you'll understand what I mean in just a moment. Uh, as you're looking that up, that's on 1037 of your, of your, if you're using a church Bible. If it's in your Bible, I don't know where it is, but I bet you found it. Let me give you a little bit of a context. I want to explain to you what's going on right before the parable because it, it's really important for you to appreciate um, what Jesus says in the parable. Right There's a very interesting conversation that occurs just prior to this parable where some folks that have been um, following Jesus, uh, they come up to him and they say, hey, have you heard what's going on in your hometown or in your home region of Galilee? Um, and they proceed to explain to him that Pilate is being his typical tyrannical self. He has murdered um, some Jews, and apparently he has done it um, over some religious dispute because it says that, that he, he, he mingled their blood with um, their sacrifice. I mean, he, he was a bad dude, okay? And basically what he was doing was trying to prove to everybody um, that he was, he was the true power in town, including more powerful than their God. That's what he wanted everybody to believe, right? We knew better than that. But of course, these folks that were talking to Jesus were outraged by this, right? They should have been. And they expected Jesus, especially being from Galilee, to be as outraged as they were. But Jesus responds to them in a way that they didn't expect. And in essence, what he says, you read it for yourself, it's the first five verses of, of 13, but basically what he says is um, stuff happens. And the best response that you could make to stuff like this is to make sure you've got your own house in order. Because you never know when the stuff might happen to you. That was what, that's how he responded. And then 
he immediately goes from that to, to telling this parable. So, um, Luke chapter 13, starting verse 6. Got in your own Bibles, please read it from your own Bibles, but I'll read it for you up here too. And he, Jesus, told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, but found none. And he said to the vine dresser, or uh, the gardener, who was tending the vineyard, he says, look, for three years I have been seeking fruit from this fig tree, and I've never found one. Cut it down. Why should it be using up ground? And he, the vine dresser or the gardener, answers him and says, Sir, let it alone for another year until I dig around it and I put on some manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then we can cut it down. The parable of the stink. God brings the stink. You may have not thought of it that way before, but maybe you should. In this parable, there are three characters. Did you recognize them? There is the first character is the vineyard owner, right? And who is the vineyard owner? If you, if you were going to say that that represents somebody, who would you think it would be, the vineyard owner? God, right? And then there's the vine dresser or the gardener. Who do you think that represents? Jesus. And then there's the tree. Us. The tree is you and me. So, if, what is it that Jesus is trying to teach us about these three characters? Let's start with the vineyard owner, God. Um, this is what I believe we are being taught about God, the nature of God. God expects fruitfulness. Did you hear me? God expects fruitfulness from us, from His vineyard, from His trees, us, right? Now, what kind of tree are you? You are a Christian tree, right? And what kind of fruit does a Christian produce? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is the fruit that a Christian tree should produce. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. How you doing? <laughs> Truth of the matter is, some days you'll produce some of those fruits really good, and there'll be other days that you don't. That's the truth. But that's what God expects. God expects you to produce fruit. So what, what can we learn about the vine dresser, Jesus? Um, we learn that Jesus is our patient advocate, right? He was, he was a patient advocate for the tree. In the, as the vine dresser, that's what he was, right? 
But we can also learn that our patient advocate isn't going to be patient forever. Remember we talked about that last week? Waiting well. And what Jesus, as, as the vine dresser, he was, he was waiting well. He didn't just say, hey, wait till next year and let's see if, see if we produce some fruit from this tree next year. What did he do? He did what he could do to help that tree produce some fruit. What did he do? He put on the stink. He applied the manure, but, and he also dug up around the roots. He stirred up the, he stirred up the soil. You see where this is going? Jesus is our patient advocate, but he's not above stirring up your life and applying the stink when you need it. And finally, what do we learn about the tree, you and me? Sometimes we need life to stink, to grow to become the people we were created to be. That's the truth. Now, I know you don't like that. I don't like it either. But sometimes life needs to get stirred up. Sometimes life needs to stink for you to grow, to become. Now, because we fail to embrace that biblical truth, and it is the biblical truth, we struggle a lot as human beings. I do. Um, Sometimes because we don't want to believe that biblical truth we will, for example, will will um, believe that when life stinks, it was that, that it was caused by the devil, right? That the, the the devil's attacking me, and and that may be true, by the way, because the devil hates you. The Bible says that he wants to destroy you, so he's going to do lots of things to make your life stink. But here's the problem if that's all we do is we just, well, that's just, we, I, we just kind of, you know, go into this sheltered position, you know, just kind of, don't do that. The problem is when we do that, when we blame it on the devil, we, we don't learn anything from it. That's a mistake. When life stinks, you're supposed to grow from it. Now, here's the other, we, here's the other opposite mistake we can make. We can believe that life stinks because of God. And you know what? Sometimes, according to this parable, God does bring the stink. And when, and when we blame it on God, we, some of us get angry and shake our fists at God. And some of us turn away from God because, because how could a good God allow this to happen? Ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever said that? Listen to me. Sometimes life stinks. No. Every time life stinks. God can take those circumstances, those things that have made your life stink, and do something beautiful with them. It says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, i.e., 
when life stinks. Whether life stinks because you've been attacked by the devil, whether life stinks because God has applied it, or whether life stinks because you've done something stupid. You have the ability, if you choose to, to offer that to God. Because in the hands of God, all of it worked together for the good. Consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. For trials will produce endurance. Endurance, their perfect result. That you might be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's God's promise to you. You see, here's the deal. Life is going to stink now and then, no matter what. For all those reasons that I just described. Sometimes because the devil's attacking you, sometimes because you've done something stupid, and sometimes because God allowed it. And then you get to choose. Is it just going to stink? Or am I going to give it to Jesus and let him do something good in me or something good through me? You get to choose. That's not easy. I know that. I do. But it's a choice that you have. So how do you do it? I mean, where do you even start, right? Well, you start by submitting to Jesus. And letting Him be Lord. Letting Him be in charge. That's really hard, right? But that's what's required. You need to take your life such as it is and lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I'm asking you to do something with this. I want what you want, not what I want. Because I've made a mess. I confess to you that I am a sinner, that the mess my life in, part of it, a lot of it is my fault. And I repent and I turn to you. I offer myself to you. That's what it means to be born again. To want Jesus more than anything and anyone else. To submit to Him as Lord. So how do you do it? You confess that you're a sinner, you repent, and you submit. There's nothing magical about it. You just need to do it. And if you never have, you have to. Oh, you don't have to. You can continue making the mess out of your life all that you want. But if you want the hope that He offers, if you want to know and believe that even when life stinks, that there's something good that will grow from it, you need to submit to Jesus as Lord. Right over there is our prayer room. Um, If you would like to pray that prayer of salvation with your pastor, it would be my privilege. Um, If there's something else going on in your life that you need and would like prayer for, I'll meet you right over.